Beauty Beast podcast. My name's Demi. And I'm Melissa. And we have a guest with us today. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and tell us your name. I'm Danny, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> a name would be important. I'm Danny. <laughs> um, we were super excited to ask Danny to come on because, as you know, our last episode, um, we focused on chatting a lot about misclassification with, da- with Danny. Oh, here I go, messing up already. Um, with Katie. With Katie, <laughs> right. Um, and we really wanted to move forward with talking to a stylist that is passionate about that topic and also has experience maybe a little bit of learning about misclassification through your journey yeah, through the definitely. industry. Um, so we thought Danny would be the perfect guest for that. So we're super excited. So give us a little background about your story. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited. So are um, we. I am a third generation hairstylist. I've grown up in the salon. Both my father and mother did hair. My dad was a colorist. My mom did cuts and blow dries and styling. Uh, my father's mother did hair as well. My mom was also a hair extension specialist. She was certified with Great Lengths USA. Oh, wow. Which is the same company that I um, work with now. So my my whole life, I knew I wanted to do hair, and I knew I wanted to be in the salon. I went to beauty school while I was in high school, and I managed the salon that my parents owned. A couple years into it, they they got divorced. Um, My mom went into a different industry, so it was just me and my dad in the salon every day, and he retired. And it's like, well, what am I going to do now? So I went to work for someone else who had a commission-style salon that specialized in hair extensions. Um, So I was super excited about that, wanted to learn a lot more about hair extensions. I was already certified in that, but just kind of like dipping my feet into it a little bit. Uh, worked in that salon for 18 months and very quickly felt like it was just a toxic environment. You know, like I, I don't I wasn't misclassified in that salon, but yeah. it just it wasn't an empowering space. I didn't feel like this was somewhere that I was going to be forever. Uh, I never wanted to like leave the salon and go into a suite. I love salons. So when I left that salon, I started interviewing everywhere and just couldn't find anywhere that made me feel comfortable. Yeah. So I opened my own salon suite, um, ran a single studio for about two and a half years, COVID hit, and I expanded into a 300 square foot studio. So we're a lot bigger now, but we were just talking about earlier, the space can feel kind of tight and constricting. So we're ready to grow and expand and possibly open a salon in the future. Right. That's That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's the goal. I think anybody who's not experienced with um, like what a salon suite setup is, which I think for the most part, most of our listeners are, but um, like 300 square feet would essentially represent like a triple setup. Because a lot of times like a studio would be a standard of 100 square feet or around that. Um, So the triple is like a really cool idea. I actually toured the same suite and coincidentally the same suite that you settled into when you were in your single suite before I had signed at the other suites that we, Melissa and I ended up going to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw the triple there too, which was at the time somebody else was working in there. And I was like, that's a really cool concept. And then I was so excited when I heard that you were expanding into that space because I thought it was it was a really, really cool move. So I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I was interviewing at Phoenix or wait, on the waiting list for my space, 
they actually called me one day and they were like, hey, Demi. And I was like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep going and hopefully take this space. Yeah. I'm sorry, Demi. <laughs> I so, get it. That was when we were. I was like, yeah, I got to go. I guess you probably were the first one to get that info that I was leaving the salon that I worked at then. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. Um, I think that your journey into like becoming independent on your own and then, which I would say you already had so much more insight about the industry. Right. Um, you came in with a much fuller perspective and understanding, you know, how our industry runs. So going independent for you, it was probably a great like starting point to start to really build for yourself, like the brand that you have going now. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, managing my parents' salon, I did payroll, I did inventory, I did ordering, like I did a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I understood how stressful salon ownership could be or so I thought, yeah. and then I opened my own space, and now I'm one of five employees of the company, and it's a lot. It's a lot more than I thought it was going to be, yeah. but it's it's so rewarding and so awesome. Yeah, which that leads me to my next thing. I think what you said was perfect, which is the five employees of your company. So can you explain like the breakdown of how exactly it works with the people that you guys work with? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, Hair by Danielle & Co. is an S-corporation. It's a sole proprietorship, so I am an employee of my company. Um, I have three stylists, including myself. I mostly do hair extensions. I still do colors and cuts on my regular clients, but I myself am a commission employee. Um, I have two other stylists that are also commission employees. One assists part-time. She's kind of moving locations from a different city. Uh, so she assists and does hair. We have assistant in the salon on Saturdays. That's an hourly employee. And we also have a virtual assistant that's able to, able to offer like tech support, scheduling, inventory, kind of all the computer stuff so that we can just keep doing hair. Okay, awesome. Oh, awesome. And I think the key word that she keeps using is employee. <laughs> yes, they are all employees. That is I pay taxes on all of them. <laughs> and that's, I think, the exact topic that we were so passionate about in our last right. episode. And now we see the application of exactly what non-misclassification, right, so we're doing mm -hmm. things the right way now, can lead to success in all of the same ways instead of kind of the cutting of the corners that I think a lot of our industry, I don't want to say is maliciously doing, it's just kind of been our standard for so long. Definitely. Um, a lot of things are done this way because that's how they've always been right. done. Right. Like it's not because that's exactly what we were chatting about with Katie like and in, in when right. we were talking with her. It's, it's not from malicious intent sometimes. I mean, I would hope not, but I always see the best in people. Um, <laughs> but I think that it's just like almost like a standard that like we all just got so used to doing. We're like, we're not following the rules. We're not doing what we're supposed to, but that's just how it's done in our industry. Yeah. So I think hearing the example of somebody doing it the right way, it's yes, is it work, but it's work no matter what way you're doing it, would you rather it be the right way and the right work? Or are you doing mm -hmm. more work doing it the wrong way? Which, I mean, I don't know. It, would you say that, like, with your accounting, do you normally do, like, monthly bookkeeping with your accountant? Do you do quarterly? How do you normally set that up? So up until very recently, I just saw my accountant once a year, mm -hmm. um, and I I did everything myself. My Damn payroll girl. company paid That's all impressive. of the income taxes. I paid all of my quarterly taxes. Mm -hmm. I kept on all of the licenses and different fees and things like that. 
It's a lot. So I have a new accountant who I'm obsessed with. Like, I just feel like if you don't love your money guy, like, you need to find a new money guy. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. since it's the start of our relationship, we've spoken a little bit more, but we're going to do a quarterly start for now, and then we'll see moving forward. Going from there. Yeah. So with your parents' salon, did they do their run their salon in the same way in that they W two their employees? So it was or was it more a little like bit of both? So some employees were W two, some employees were ten ninety nine. So I got mm. to some independent contractors were ten ninety nine. Right. Yeah. So I got to learn a little bit about the difference of how they're treated and what the benefits are and and different rules that you should be following if you're going to pl- pay someone a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I know when one thing that we talked about with Katie was that if you are W-2-ing your employees, as you should be, really, if they're an employee, but she was talking about also, like, you know, minimum wage requirements. So, like, if you're commissioned stylist, like, if they're not booked, you know, that they should still be getting, like, an hourly wage sort of thing. Right. Right. So So it's funny that you say that because I've been having this like panicked conversation (laughs) with my accountant, with my accountant and my administrative assistant for a couple days now. But yeah, definitely. Like if you are a commission style employee and you are not getting paid when you are not working and you're forced to stay in that salon, Mm -hmm. like you should maybe think about seeing a lawyer because that's not that's that's not how it is. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, looking back, it you're fine. It wasn't really like. (laughs) That's that's not how things ever worked my whole life. Like right. I, I never knew that. Yeah. So right. now that I know that, I'm like, oh my god. Well, yeah. it, it really <laughs> makes sense when you stop and think about it because if you're folding clothes at Old Navy and there's zero customers in there, right? They're not not paying you. You're yeah. getting that hourly like wage, whether you're sitting at the register doing absolutely nothing. Or you're checking out 100 people because it's Black Friday and everything's like 90% off. Like, they're paying you either way. So why shouldn't our industry be doing the exact same thing? Right. Because we're not special in the beauty industry. Right, right. (laughs) I just think that it started and it was just kind of like traction that just kept going. And, you know, we were all like, all right. I mean, especially coming in new with a new set of eyes to the industry of somebody who's running a whole business that you're sitting down to interview with tells you, okay, this is how we do it. This is how it goes. You're not going to maybe question it. You're just going to be like, okay, like naively, um, I think we all have a different point that we learned our hard lessons, right? So, I mean, I know my point of learning my hard lesson was my lawsuit with my former employer. I guess he's not my employer because I was 1099. I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was my hard lesson of like, shit, I didn't realize. Um, I mean, what would you say your hard lesson was? Um, I guess like the very, well, Technically, the second salon that I had worked at, she W2'd us. Mm. And, but we weren't doing, like, if there was no clients, like, we weren't getting paid. So it really wasn't, like, a correct, like, meeting that minimum wage and everything like that. And I had always kind of questioned it in the back of my head. But, again, I was new to the industry, and I was only doing nails part-time. So it was kind of like, eh, whatever. You know, as long as I'm meeting, like, the bills that this paycheck needs me to, it's fine. But then I think it was, like, when the owner, she was more interested in, like, living her lifestyle. Like, she didn't issue us, like, the, what was it, the 
the end of the year tax form or whatever, like that you get yeah. to file your taxes. Like we never got them. That's a big thing. That's a big, so, a big red flag. Right. There. Big so nugget. then it was kind of like I had to call the IRS and the lady's like, oh, you didn't get this form. And I'm like, no. She's like, okay, so you need to take all your pay stubs for the entire year, add them up and do all the math yourself. And I'm like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, you just have to hope that it matches. And I'm like, what? No pressure. <laughs> this is why I never want to talk to the IRS, man. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's forms, my other thing. Right. Is that the IRS is very difficult to get a hold of. Yes. But they have no difficulty getting a hold of us when we over <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, thankfully, like, the person that I spoke to, I was like, I've never had this happen before. Like, I don't understand what to do. And she was, like, super nice and, like, walked me through everything. And she's like, I'm going to send you a form, too, so that you can report that you never received your tax forms. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I did it. But. What would you say is, is your lesson timing with? So I think my lesson was when I left the commission salon that I was working at for a year and a half and interviewed at other places, just not being able to find the space that I wanted to grow in. I was really looking for a culture in the salon based mm -hmm. on empowerment and growth and success all the way around. Yeah. And doing things legal is really important to me. Right. At the time, I was a lot younger and paying taxes, like my employer paying taxes and taking it out of my paycheck was a little bit more out of like laziness. Like I don't want to do that. I had like a vague understanding of what that means and the difference between a W-2 employee and an independent contractor was but I just I didn't want to get involved in it yeah. and I just I couldn't find literally anywhere and going back to what you said about not getting paid when you're not getting commission I think like a lot of salon owners come from the perspective of well if they're getting 50% commission and they're bringing in gross $1,000 a week minimum wage for for employees who make a uh, commission or tips is like $4 and 91 cents an hour. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're making more than that anyway. So they think of it as the grand scheme of the pay period yeah. and not necessarily the day or the hour, which is important to look at. Absolutely. Most definitely. Because if I only see two clients a week, I'm not, I'm definitely not making that minimum wage. So it's, it's unfair. You can't base like somebody new into the industry Versus somebody who's been in the industry for 10 years and is booked solid. Right. Like, that's yeah. not a fair comparison. No, definitely not. I feel like... I I mean, I was shocked when I really... I mean, m my journey was a lot of learning after the fact. And I was shocked when I did learn about the things that my attorney was describing to me. And I was like what? That's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> and I think that's like the biggest struggle for us as, as stylists and, and nail artists mm -hmm. is because we are artistic. It's almost like the expectation that like art is our number one focus and the business kind of comes behind it. But I think that our generation of stylists has really shifted the industry in the sense that like when I hear you talk about looking for like that culture in a salon, right. I think previous to like our I don't want to say age group, but yes, age group, like our generation of like, <laughs> like workforce coming right. in expected a different type of like a healthy work environment, a supportive place. Um, and I think it changed our industry a lot. I, you can take that from 
the multiple salons that you visited deciding where you were going to settle down. Um, And I think it was almost like the exact timing of me feeling like, wait a minute, I don't know if this is my forever spot too. And I think we all were kind of searching for that same thing. And in a way, we're also searching for our own stability. So I think that's a perspective of being like a long-term like commission stylist someplace and not feeling like your cup's filled, right? And I think a big part of it does have to do with misclassification. I think when you go into a space, like you said, like a, a collective, like healthy work environment, you know that you're being labeled correctly as whether it be an employee mm-hmm. or an independent contractor, you know that they're protecting you in that sense. And then you're working in a supportive environment. I don't feel like maybe you'd be as tempted to leave as quickly because you're saying, all right, like they're looking out for my best interest too. So I can grow in the multiple avenues I want to grow, you know, which I think is the big thing for me. I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but that was just my statement. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But I definitely do think that is the case for sure. Well, yeah. And I remember like when I was first starting out and looking at salons, it was, are they busy, you know, versus are they, well, and I didn't really even think about like the misclassification stuff. No, we didn't know better yet. Right. Well, And I was coming from the education world and the business world, so to speak, where that was never an issue. So it never even crossed my mind. That it, could, that it yeah. could be an issue until I started, like, really seeing and educating myself. So I feel like if maybe you never knew any better, like, you could really be taken advantage of. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, but it was more, is this salon busy? Because, like, when I started out, I was only doing nails part-time. So I just needed it to pay my car insurance, my rent, and my cell phone. Like, that's all I cared about. Like, could I pay those three things? And then my you know, my teaching salary covered like the major expenses and everything else. So it wasn't even, you know, I was like, I'm only here 15 hours a week. Like I'm here to do nails and leave. And then I think when I made the transition into full time is when I really started focusing more on culture. Yeah. Yeah. I moved out like young. So, you know, then I was paying, of course, for my own bills and stuff. So I was in the restaurant industry. I worked at multiple restaurants like at once to make, you know, my bills be paid and my partying be paid for too. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, you kind of start to live a life of like, all right, as long as you got the money to pay the bills, you're good to go. I think especially like in the serving world, that's like a very, I don't want to say it's still a common thing, but I know for me at that time, that was the common thing. Like as long as you had a good night, you weren't really ever focused on your paycheck because your paycheck was such a a small hourly rate because you're really focused on what you're making tips wise when Mm -hmm. you're serving, right? So when I went into like, a salon setting and I was still working nights as a server. Um, Originally I was hourly when I was working the front desk. And then of course, as I shifted over to doing hair more than I was shifting over to the commission thing. And to be honest, I was so naive when it came to finances because I kind of still adapted that same thought process. Like as long as I have enough to pay, you know, the bills that I need Mm -hmm. to pay. And then as I was getting busier, I was like, Oh, I have more than enough to, you know, right pay the bills well, so why ask questions especially right? when it's commission and it's a different mm-hmm. check every pay period it's not something that's right. consistent yeah it's harder to kind of like comb through and see what are you being paid for yes like that was a thing I will say that like you could ask um 
you know, for your sales to be printed out at the, the mm-hmm. you know, one of the front desk girls and they were always willing to do it. So I tried my hardest as I was like kind of maturing to realize like, okay, I should probably be asking for my sales reports and like, yeah. but you know, when you're young and in any job, you're like, yeah, let's go do hair and then go out after and I'll hang out, you know, like. And then it gets to the point where it's always been that way. So how do you how do get you out of your yeah mm-hmm. comfort zone and ask? Yeah. Like I remember when I really started looking at my sales sheets and I started doing the math, I was like, uh, what am I doing here? Right. You know, now with that being said, it's not that commission is the enemy, right? So commission being ran the right way is a great thing. Yeah. And that's what we've talked about multiple times. It's not that a commission salon is a bad thing. It's just about what type of commission salon that you're in. So you were saying you have multiple stylists that are on commission, right? Correct. Yeah. So can you describe like the breakdown with them? So looking at my numbers, it's easy to see like, okay, they get 50% commission. Mm-hmm. But when you break down the actual profit, they're really getting about 80 to 90% of the profit okay. um, of the total gross service. Right. So with my stylist, I have one stylist that is straight commission. She gets 50%. Um, we split the cost of products. So that comes off of the top. Uh, with my other stylist, she is part-time hourly. So she gets paid hourly the whole time she's there. So she gets a higher hourly than the minimum wage, which I just think is awesome. I think right. a lot more businesses need to be paying a lot more than what the minimum wage is. And if I can afford to do it, the big businesses definitely can too. Um, she is clocked in the whole time she's there. She gets commission on top of that. She'll get 50% commission of all of her service sales. Um, any product sales, they get 10% of that. I also contribute 3% of their paycheck to a simple IRA for them so they have something for retirement Um, we do monthly education but like for real we actually do classes um, and the salon shoulders 100% of the responsibility of that if you can't see which none of you can I'm knocking everything over (laughs) (laughs) Demi and Danny are very like hand driven when they talk I think it's because maybe it's our (laughs) both do hair I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to hold my hands together. (laughs) That's why I do. I I literally clasp them to each other. I hold my own hands and I keep them down. Um, No, but I think like hearing the like your example of what a commission salon is, is a great example of what it should be, right? Right. And so it's, again, not that we are anti-commission salon. We're just pro-commission salon like the way you're running right well Uh, we're pro getting paid correctly right per what is what the requirements are right dictated by the irs exactly and if it's done right in the partnership with an accountant who knows like your business it can obviously flourish as danny is saying yeah right and i think like the other thing i really like that you touched on was the talking of the expense splitting yeah so i love that you use the description and how transparent you use that description um of you guys split the overhead yeah i think that's a really really great Mm -hmm. um 
like talking point that we need to touch on because a lot of times we we've talked in previous episodes about the word back charging and back charging is you know the charging for the product right so i know that in the salon that i came from where i saw that you would just see a number like pasted next to like whatever service you did you had no control of that number you really didn't have full understanding of if that's really the cost of what it is who knows right Um, But then you use the example of we split our expenses. So I think that that's a really fair way of discussing it where you're saying, okay, we're at a 50-50 split and then we're splitting the costs of, of, you know, the services, meaning the color and everything like that. That's a lot more transparency. So you don't have so much, you know, unknown, I would say. Like I know the cost of like the base color back charge was like a big topic um amongst the stylists where you know I I used to work because everybody was like well we know what the cost of like a color tube is but it's dependent on the color tube and some people felt it was too high some people felt like it was spot on so it was constantly like a I guess right a place where drama could blossom very easily and (laughs) honestly anytime I've had a new hire or I've done an interview and we've talked about back charges, mm-hmm. I would say 95% of the time they have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. And it just goes back to when we're in beauty school, like we're not taught business management. We're not taught what type of employee or independent contractor we should be. Mm-hmm. We're taught to be artists and create. And so much more goes into that, especially when you want to get paid appropriately. Right. Absolutely. No, it's totally true. I mean, that was a big part of when we were talking about, you know, our beauty school um takeaways that's I think one of the biggest things that needs to kind of adapt and change we constantly are kind of asking Allie like not I mean she gives us the updates of what's going on in beauty school like for her as she's going and um it kind of seems like the same thing as it was 10 years ago wouldn't Mm -hmm. you say I mean maybe they have a few more like guests coming in I'd be willing to say that um Um, I would use guests kind of Loosely, because wasn't one of the guests Madison Reed? That was, yes. That's upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. I don't they, even know what to do with that. that. <laughs> now, I will say, though, now Madison Reed has stylists in their, like, colorists in certain stores. Yeah, so I didn't realize that. But um, actually, I think it was Bella that was telling me was that, it? like, you can, like, pick up from Madison Reed, or I think there's an option to apply. That part, I think. Think. I can't say confidently for sure. I just um, did like three slow blanks in a row. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That but then there's like there's another one right down the way. Um, oh yeah, it's like walk. it's yeah. called like a ten minute color bar. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have. Mm-hmm. One of my clients actually goes there because she just does base color and she's yeah, like and she just doesn't you know yeah it's not it, her. it works for her schedule right and I think. You know, I was like, that's great. Like, you found something that works for you. She's like, I just have a few grays, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But not everyone no, wants I mean, to do that, I guess. Well, so that's it. I think that's another one of, uh, of a situation where they would definitely, I would have to expect to be on an hourly type of situation. I would hope so. I think that they are. Yeah. I, I mean, think that they are. It would probably have to be. Yeah, because I think they only charge like 35 bucks. Do they? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I know right. it's well, like this is not a plug for the ten minute <laughs> research, so we're moving on. I mean, we wish you the best, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, um, but I will say that I just still don't think there is enough conversation about what it comes to finances wise, um, learning about employment you know, learning about growing a business from mm-hmm. nothing. There is not enough of a conversation about just fundamentals. And I don't even know if, like, we have to get to the nitty-gritty in hair school or nail school or anything like that um, about, like, the true business growth part. Let's start with the basics of what you should look out for, right, when you're interviewing. Um, you and I, like, shared a story of when you kind of knew – in a situation that you maybe didn't want to partake in an interview because you just felt like the workplace wasn't going to work based off of maybe the communication leading up to the interview. Would you agree with that? Definitely the communication is a big part of it. Um, I think arrogance is a big part of it too. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're speaking freely, but also, you know, like when, when you're interviewing with someone and they're, giving you bullet points of things that you can and cannot do p.s i'm not paying your taxes right you just need to grab your bag and run right and i think it's hard because we've all learned to do that from hard lessons that we've experienced so we have the confidence behind us as we've grown in our industry right but what about that stylist that's coming out of school or that nail artist that's coming out of school like we should be teaching from the beginning warning signs because that's where i think we hear it's almost everybody. They have to have like that one toxic experience. Yeah, everyone has they that can... story. Right. Which is like such a big bummer. Like, why, why do you want to get burned right off the bat in the industry? And I have to then sit there and wonder, you know, I don't know if you guys can relate, but I know I'm one of, you know, two or three that do hair from my graduating class. Um, a lot of people kind of just fizzled out a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if an aspect of that is kind of like this weird I, yeah, this weird place we get thrown into where you're kind of just like trying to survive and learn at the same time. And it does feel very disorganized. It doesn't feel like you're walking into, you know, I'd almost maybe be willing to say I felt like there was more organization when I walked into my serving job where it's like, OK, I worked mm-hmm. for like a corporate restaurant. So it's pretty like you take your personality test and then you interview and then Mm -hmm. you know you fill out your tax forms for them and so they have your info and you move on from there I didn't have that same experience no not that I need a personality test but you know what I'm saying (laughs) like meaning like it didn't feel that level of organization walking in the door so no not at all my beauty school was a revolving door of students and staff just constantly and so I think that then we we set people up kind of for failure to get burned and then like you may sit there at that point if you're on the fence or feeling like this is a little bit too overwhelming to maybe move on to a different career move where like hair could have been your career or nails could have been your career but it does feel overwhelming when you kind of get catapulted into it with no answers and no idea of what you right. should be looking out well, for. Well, and also, can we just mention how, I mean, I'm 30. I've been working in a salon since I'm 15. My body is falling apart. Oh, I mean, yes. it happens. Yeah. And if you're not being paid fairly and you're not right. being compensated for your time, why would you continue in a career that is literally taxing you financially, physically, right. mentally right. draining you? It's just not worth it. Yes. Right. Well, I know that we had kind of talked about like the interview process and you had said like you interview and everything like that. So can you maybe share like a few differences in, you know, like 
a red flag interview versus like what you talk to like a new stylist that you're you would be bringing on okay so an interview really should be just a conversation between the two people because on both sides you need to make sure that you fit together especially in a small space Mm -hmm. so definitely a red flag would be any kind of like arrogance or condescending tone you want to be in a safe space you're working in this place probably more than you're anywhere else Um, so you need to be comfortable with your co-workers um, with your boss with your employees whoever you're with Um, I was talking to one of my stylists about this topic and I was like can you just share with me kind of like what the difference was between your interview with me and other salons Um, and she said in another salon she worked at they told her that she had to wear specifically foundation every single day because her her skin got red and they didn't like that And she was a 1099 and she had no idea what any of that meant. And I'm just like, uh. oh, my God, <laughs> like just to, to I can't imagine working with someone that's like, listen, not in a nice way. You need foundation to right. cover up your skin. It's right. just horrible. We don't like your face. So please wear makeup. Right. That's what I heard. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. I, I could never work there because ever since the pandemic, I have not worn a lick of makeup. <laughs> we all got really comfortable with no face makeup, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think like that's like just right there of knowing what somebody can ask you to do and not ask you to do yeah. as a 1099. But then right. other than that, I mean, it does also couple into like the uncomfortable nature of like Imagine being, I mean, any time in our industry, but especially newer, right? You don't know right from wrong yet. You don't know what you're allowed and what you're not allowed. And somebody walks up and is like, I'm going to need you to go to Mac every day and get your makeup done before work. Not really. But I'm not going to pay you for it. Right. right. (laughs) But you need to make sure you are pulled together. And I'd prefer fuller coverage than like a CC cream. It's intimidating. And I think it's a part of that toxic culture that we are all working very hard to push out and yeah. I, I have faith that it's happening because I really do I feel like I continue to see more and more positivity when it comes to this type of stuff um, and it does make me sad in a way because I see a lot more people I know our our space here is a co-working space where everybody's on booth rental right and I love that thought press but process but I don't think it means we have to cut out commission stylists altogether there's a reason that it does make sense. And for a lot of people, it makes sense for them financially. It makes sense for where they're at in their life. It makes sense for just the way that they connect with running their business Mm -hmm. in comparison to, you know, like somebody who wants that full control, right? There's all different people in in our industry. So we don't want to force everybody into like stocking everything for themselves, having to do all of those things, because there's some people who flourish without having to think of those headaches. So I don't want to see, like, commission stylists totally go away. Like, I mean, commission salon, excuse me, because I think there is a place for them. And I think, like, the way you're describing it, that I think I know, is where it makes sense for them to exist still. Yeah. Um, and the industry has changed in in the past yeah. decade so many times over. Like, mm-hmm. it's so rapidly evolving. And I'm so grateful for my mom and my dad for teaching me all the things and molding me into the stylist I am. But 
there's so much more that I've learned in the past couple years with podcasts, with online education, with one-on-one coaching and mentorships. So I think new stylists coming into the industry are asking a lot more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely going back to interviewing, like I'm, I'm super transparent about how I pay you, what I'm going to pay you, what my benefits are. Like if you go on my Indeed listing, it says all of that on the first page. And I think that's really important also when you're looking for a job, you can ask what you're going to be paid and how you're going to be paid before you even show up. And if there's a stutter or a hesitation, that might be a red flag. Yeah, right. For well, sure. And I think that the people who don't feel comfortable describing that structure to you, like you are excited to describe it right. because it's something you've poured your efforts into and you're passionate about because you have confidence in knowing you're describing what you're doing right and you're doing well because you've confirmed it with the other professionals you needed to, your accountant, everything like that. So when somebody doesn't want to answer those questions, but they want you to work for them, right? like you said, red flag. Because when you're doing it right, that should be, a, if if I'm going to open a salon like similar to your style, right, when it comes to the commission breakdown and everything like that, it should be a part of my passion. So if I'm doing an interview and you ask me those things and you're the interviewee and I'm the interviewer and I don't want to answer those things, that's a little strange because if I'm passionate about running my business and having that structure be what it is, I should be excited to tell you about those yeah. things. The only reason I don't want to tell you about those things is probably because I'm doing something shady. Well, and also, too, like, because I, you know, wasn't born and raised in, like, the beauty industry, you right. know, like, on the other side of that, like, outside of it, it was always, you know, I was taught – when you go into the interview, that first interview, you sell yourself right. because you want to get hired by this company. Right. And then if you're called back for a second interview, that is when they present what they're offering and then you go from there. If you're allowed to so ask So I think if people have that mindset, mm-hmm. they don't know to ask those things or that it's okay to ask those things up front because it's like, listen, I don't want to bullshit you. Let's not waste each other's time. You know, what are you offering? Here's what I'm offering. Let's decide if this is going to work out is essentially like what the interview pretty much right. is. A hundred percent. And when you're interviewing, yeah, it's very important if your personalities mesh But at the end of the day, it's business, and you have to talk about the business of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that it's important to get it out there, like, in a professional manner up front. But then I think that culture, even, like, I remember getting my very first job at 15 at fucking Spencer's in the mall. My parents were (laughs) like... You just need to sell yourself. If they offer you the job, then you talk about pay. Like, that's just the way that mentality. And I don't know if it's that more old school mentality that kind of, like, doesn't mesh with today's or whatever. But that's how I was always taught to go into an interview. Like, sell what you are bringing. And then if they are interested, then they'll discuss it with you. So I like that it's kind of like flipping a little bit now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's definitely fair. I think it's like, I mean, I I don't know if you can relate, but I don't really feel like I've ever had a very structured interview in our industry. Um, No. It seems very like It's always after hours, come have a coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never really like a... I don't know. I've never sit down and had like an interview where I needed to hit certain bullet points. And to be honest, there's probably certain points that I can reference in some interviews that I've had that are just straight up unprofessional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And so I, I am interested to see, like, with this involvement that we're seeing in our industry, what does that mean, too? Like, I am familiar with one of our, our great clients for our hats. Um, she runs a commission salon. I've referenced her a few times, mm-hmm. I think, in talking. And, and I've talked about this before. She does exit interviews, too. I don't think I've ever really heard of an, a, a no. salon down here doing an exit interview. I haven't either. Um, and I love that there is even the conversation of that because usually mm-hmm. you can't even give two weeks in our industry. Right. It's always like, a you've secret. You've got to like grab yeah. your stuff. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, the person giving tours at the salon suites is calling the wrong one Demi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but like you do kind of feel like you got to just pack your stuff and scoot out the door. I loved when I heard that Again, she's a commissioned salon and she runs an, an incredible salon out of state. And um, I think that's such an amazing thing when somebody leaves to give them the opportunity to sit down and you ask those questions of why are you leaving? Is there things I can mm-hmm. improve upon? Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot. And of, actually caring to hear. Right. And right. there's a lot of pride that runs through our industry. Um well, I, I think pride in general. I wouldn't want to like target just our industry in saying that. I think that that's just a a personality thing that happens a lot. Um, So some people, I think, shy away from it because they don't want to hear any hard truths. But the only time that you're going to grow and you're going to make your business even better is if you hear the things that maybe you can improve upon. And listen, that exit interview, there may be some things that that person's bringing to the table that you as a business owner, like, no, there's maybe some room for growth, but like some expectations are possible to me and some expectations may be unrealistic or maybe it just means that they're ready for their next step in their career and you're maybe not that step for them and they're ready to do something else, right? But I always think that there's always something to take away from any experience and learn from. Um, You know, like even before we were getting started, we were talking about some difficult clients, right? Like navigating difficult clients, breaking up with clients and things like that. I've had some hard situations where it's really easy to just be like, oh my God, that person was brutal and really not self-reflect at all. I probably self-reflect to the point of nauseam and Melissa knows this because I can spiral. (laughs) But I always try to sit in their shoes for at least a minute. It doesn't mean I'm not going to still say we're not meant for each other and I wish you all the best, but is there something I could take away from this experience for me to do something differently? Even if that different means navigating and seeing maybe from the beginning that they're not a good fit for my book, whatever I can take away from it, right? So that kind of ties back to the exit interview. I think that that should be seen more in our industry too because that's the only way that you can do better as a salon owner. Right. And I like the way that, you know, Danny, you were saying that you offer things that I haven't heard a lot of right. being offered in our industry. Like you contribute to a retirement, a retirement fund. fund. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you also do things like vacations or maternity leave or so not like yet? That? Um, I definitely my goal for the next year is I want to offer health insurance to all of my employees, which I, I've never yeah. heard that no, never. anywhere in a salon. Actually, that's a lie. I have a friend in Oregon. She's amazing. Her name is Lindsay. She owns an incredible commission salon and just watching her run a commission salon respectfully and successfully mm-hmm. and legally right. has been so amazing and empowering to like be a part of watching her journey. But right. yeah. yeah, definitely um, 
I want to provide health insurance, paid time off. We do retirement now. I would like to maybe make that a little bit bigger or better. Like I just, I think it's so important as a salon owner, especially a commission style salon owner to pay back into your employees and create a brand and a culture and a company where it would be fucking crazy to work anywhere else. Yeah, You know, right. like my team is going to stay with me because there is no other option because they don't want there to be. Right. Well, and not only that, like if they do move on and want to eventually open their own salon yeah. or something like that, you're creating also an example and a precedent in our industry to where go to another salon and ask them about retirement or yeah. vacation or you know, health insurance. Like, I mean, I'm fortunate because my husband carries our health insurance, but that was like a big concern for me because never do you hear about that in the beauty yeah. industry. So I had I to get married awesome. to get health insurance. Yeah. 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 yeah we're <laughs> I, mean, like, I didn't get married. My wife is going to get mad that I said <laughs> right. that. <laughs> right. But no. I did too. I did too. <laughs> but I mean, not that we all got married just for health insurance, but when you have like a spouse or a partner who's not in our industry, like that was a big conversation between Evan and I. Like when I decided to leave education and do nails full time, it was like, well, you have to make sure with your job first that I can be added. And it just so yeah. happened that it was open enrollment and it was like a really easy transition because I was ready. I'm like, well, if, if I can't be added to your health insurance, like even if it's not open enrollment, like it's a no-go. I'll just wait until the following year's open enrollment right. then. But that's like so big because that's like such a huge expense for a lot of people Mm -hmm. or they just go uninsured, which is equally terrifying. I mean, that's why we kind of like held on to Julian staying in corporate America. I mean, a little longer because it was like to give that up and then to have to search for, you know, insurance as two independently employed individuals is not that fun. No. And it's, I mean, we figured it out. Yeah. Um, But I also think too, is you've created something and it's, it's not just for people listening as like a potential stylist to look out for what salon they want to work for. It's also for other salon owners to hear what you're saying. And by making these adjustments, if they're running a commission salon too, I think they open up a lot of opportunity. And besides that is when somebody leaves, somebody else wants that chair that's open. Right. You're creating a constant buzz because why wouldn't you want to work someplace that that's that's supportive, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of the times that you have these older school salons that are probably looking at your business structure and saying like, oh, good luck to her. No, good luck to you right. because what you are doing is not going to last too much longer. Definitely That's not. just the truth. Like right. we are learning and we're growing and we're seeing that we need to make sure that we level up and and we're equal with the rest of kind of the workforce around us. And that's what I think we're seeing as mm-hmm. – that's for we're, sure. We're, we're Fortune 500 companies or 100, what's it called? <laughs> Something. We're yeah. coming for you, I think. <laughs> but I think we've definitely got a lot covered today. Right. No, a lot I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I was super excited to sit down and talk because I knew that you were going to give us great insight. And also, um, I, I love to hear the way that you describe your passion about making sure that you do run things properly. Yeah. It's so refreshing to hear because I think we're hearing more of it, but it's the start of hearing more of it. So this should motivate anybody and everybody who wants to do something like this, either on the stylist side, like I was saying, or the business ownership side to see that it is possible. And this is the standard we should all strive for. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
I, I mean, I love commission style salons, and I just, I think that there's this glass ceiling that happens mm-hmm. a lot of times with commission style salons because you get 50%, let's say, if you have a good split, and if you get benefits or anything, that's just extra on top of it. But where can you go from there? So then right. on top of the financial and business stuff, being somewhere that the culture is based on education and growth and making more money and being more successful and doing all of the things, that's really important, too, for a long-lasting career. Happy, a long-lasting happy career. Absolutely. Well, I think we can for sure say that you're changing the industry. We need more Dannys. (laughs) I know, right? right? (laughs) Well, I think that we covered a lot today, and we may need to have Danny back again because we probably could talk a lot more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we could keep going. I know. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, we're going to have to brainstorm our next topic, but I think we've definitely tackled misclassification and navigating that and hearing how to kind of shop around to find the right space for you and know that your needs, as long as they're realistic and you're not like, you know. Well, and it was nice to hear like a flip side of like a commission style Right, and the positivity. Well, and I feel like in our last few episodes where we've talked about commission style salons because we're talking shit well and and that's why i think it's so enlightening for you because we've never come from a positive commission style salon it makes all the difference and Mm -hmm. to hear that it's like damn where were you 10 years ago danny (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna end the podcast and melissa's like so how do you feel about a nail art And I'm like, how do you feel about a hairstylist? (laughs) I leave the girls to run it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, Well. Well, why don't you share your socials with everyone? Because I'm sure that people might have questions. Yeah, definitely. My Instagram is extensions by Danny V. It's D-A-N-N-I-V like Victor. Um, My salon's Instagram is HBD and Co. Uh, You can reach me on either one. I'm also on Facebook. and Yeah, we'll link all of those in the show notes as well too i don't know if anyone uses facebook but i still have one every i troll it for my family and friends and that's it right yeah i think that's what we all have it just added on still for that pretty much yeah there you go find her on facebook too yeah yeah so that's it until next time until next time bye